It's a new day, it's a new era, and it's a brand new episode of Beautiful Car Crash. It's the podcast that took the brown acid at Sunbury 75 and woke up in 2021. I'm your host, Byron Moore, and welcome to Volume 2, Episode 1 of BCC. Now, if you're brand new to Beautiful Car Crash, and I dare say that many of you will be, then welcome aboard. I hope you enjoy this brand new version of the show, which I've decided to start again from scratch. For everyone else that's stuck with me for the last six, well, almost seven years, here's a very brief rundown of what's been happening. Now, I managed to get the original version of the podcast to 104 episodes in February of 2020, and I had very big plans going forward. Now, I even did some more interviews that I'd recorded, but even to this day, they've never been aired. And then COVID hit in a major way, and all those plans went out the window. The studio I recorded the show in was no longer available to me due to constant lockdowns. Live music disappeared in the blink of an eye for the exact same reasons, and my entire life got turned upside down, as of course did millions of other people's lives. So to put it simply, I no longer had the means or the knowledge for how to do the show by myself and and that's the quality that it had been presented in in the past. So I just stopped. But what I never stopped doing was supporting the Australian music scene. You see, amazing music from local artists continued to be made all across the country. So I continued to spread the word as best as I could Uh, via social media and music streaming platforms, uh, buying music and merch and generally doing my small part to let anyone that would listen know that Aussie independent music was just as viable and vital as it's ever been. But I still needed a creative outlet for myself. So I did what I should have done years ago. I sat down during the months and months and God, months of lockdown with no job to go to at the time, and I taught myself everything I needed to know about getting BCC off the ground again, and admittedly, I'm still learning. So before I continue, I just want to give a quick shout out to Freddie Galino at Let's Jam Productions for helping me uh, with the podcast from 2015 up until the end of 2019. Of course, I appreciate all of your hard work, brother, but I've got it from here. And while I'm handing out the shout outs, I want to thank Voya from Sydney's Bad Moon Born for supplying my amazing new theme music for the show. This guy is an absolute talent and I'm very grateful for not only his musical skill, but his extremely helpful production advice. Uh, And while I'm at it, I also want to thank Melbourne's Riot After Midnight for the outro music for the podcast, which you'll hear if you hang around until the very end of the show, which of course you should totally do. So thank you very much, gentlemen. Now, after almost two years of dead air, beautiful car crash podcast rises again like a phoenix from the ashes with volume two. Uh, Starting again from episode one just makes sense to me. Uh, Too much time's passed for me to continue where I left off, and besides, I've always relished the challenge 
But if you do want to catch all the episodes from Volume 1, you can still stream or download them exclusively via the BCC website at beautifulcarcrash.com. Oh, and plus, I'm finally on Spotify and YouTube for the first time. So don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a comment or review because Uncle Bubsy wants to get monetized. Okay, enough about all of that. Let's get to the reason why we're here, and that's my very first guest for this brand new era of BCC. I'm excited to welcome Matthew Robbins to episode one. Matt is the lead vocalist and guitarist for Melbourne grunge messiahs Cicada Stone, who, along with brother Mark on guitar, Tommy Sunset on bass, and Jared Medwin on drums, released their second album earlier this year entitled Cold Chamber. I headed down to Colour Sound Studios in Altona, which is located west of Melbourne CBD, and which is also owned and operated by Matt, to speak to him in depth about the writing, production and release of this incredible album. After the interview, I'll be reviewing Cold Chamber as well as spinning a few tracks from the album on the good old BCC gramophone, so stick around for that, unless of course you're watching on YouTube. If you are, you'll still be able to hear my review, but I'll be putting all the links for the album in the description, so don't forget to like and subscribe. Episode 1, Volume 2 is about to begin, so let's smash it out! Beautiful car crash style with Matthew Robbins from Cicada Stone. start with the obvious, how was your COVID experience? For me it was good. It was good, okay. Well for the band it wasn't good because like any band we can't do what we're doing but yeah. during that time for both huge lockdowns I focused on things for the band that you know we maybe working on videos and things like that and also writing, do a lot, just a lot more writing for future releases but also working on the, the studio because I run a studio and I, I just revamped my whole studio so I kept busy and for me personally I live in an area where I've got a lot of shops around me I've got a beach right nearby um, and so you know apart from not having work and being open I, it didn't really affect me you know because I just mentally kept busy which was great now of course the whole basis and whole reason for the chat today the the last time I interviewed you was before the album was released and the album in question of course is cold chamber which was recorded in 2019 you Uh, laid down the tracks in 2019 or was it earlier than that it was earlier than that yeah it was it was between 2018 and 2019 okay but of course the initial release was meant to be in 2020 before yeah everything went down so of course uh you spent a lot of time in the interim 
releasing the tracks because uh you released um three of the tracks before the album even came out so of course box of anger april 6th 2020 we're dying in sunshine which was june 15th and out of sight which was november 2nd now what made you choose box of anger as your first single to release a couple of reasons one because it was like it's got a catchy chorus so it was always going to be a potential as a single but two we already shot a video for it which wasn't intended to be a video. It was more more meant to be a keepsake. And when we shot the video, Mark, uh, he had this awesome like loft roof, you know, sort of attic in his place. Mm-hmm. He's moved from there now, but he just wanted to film something up there before he moved. And so we filmed we filmed it, and then um, we realised it was really cool. And so, but it was kind of boring. It was just us playing. So we ended up filming some extra footage, adding in some other footage, and, and kind of making more of a story out of it. And then when we realised we had a video clip, it it kind of made sense because well, we had a video clip. So yeah, and the label were happy to put it out. So it's fine by me.
done right here where we are at Color Sound Studio in Altona. Was there a concept behind the album before you started writing or when you hit the studio? Was it sometime during the recording process that you thought the album was starting to come together? When did you feel that you had an album on your hands yeah um i don't think there was there wasn't any plan and there never is a plan i just write songs and so i did realize that i had a bunch of songs that were leaning more on the dark side of vibe you know as a, as a rock band you know they sounded kind of dark so i ended up kind of pushing that angle mm. i think that's probably the only decision i made you know and so, and that was more when I was listening to, you know, the demos as I was writing them. So I wouldn't say we came in here with a plan to do anything, but I realized that it was going to be a darker sounding record than the first record. Mm. And so I, I lent on that, on that angle. You, uh, you had two new guys, well, not so new now, but at the, uh, yeah, Tommy Sunset, <laughs> Tommy Sunset, Tommy Sunset on Jared, bass and Jared, Jared Medwin on drums. Now, how did you rope those two cats into, uh, the process? Uh, well, Tommy filled in a couple of times for us from, yeah, he did. He filled in a couple of times in the previous lineup, you know, for when gigs, when Mick couldn't do gigs. And and then we got him in more on a permanent basis, and then when um when Pedro had kind of uh, was ready to move on, just Tommy suggested Jared, which made sense because we already knew Jared anyway. But that already they'd played together a bit, and you know I think they'd just been playing together in Delacoma for a version of Delacoma. Yeah, um, one of his many lineups, yeah, I think. So, yeah, and it made sense that Tommy threw Jared's name in the in the ring for that. So. You know, and you know, we we love what Jared does, and I'm, I'm pretty sure Jared loves what we do. So it was it was a no-brainer. Yeah. You know, there wasn't any audition process. It was come down, have a bash, and we didn't audition anyone else. It was just we just got the gig, and that was that. How long did it take from stepping into the studio and switching on the desk till locking it all down? We we started recording the drums. I reckon the drums took about a good solid week. If you were to just clock on the hours. A good solid week of, of recording, but we left. We, we had the luxury of leaving the drum set up for a while afterwards, and I'd get him to come back in and drop in on, you know, certain things. Mm. You know, thing maybe things we didn't we didn't nail, or, or I wanted a bit more color in certain spots. So you know, unlike you know, if we were to go into someone else's studio, once you pack down, you pack down. And if you have to set up drums again, you're going to pull sounds. You pull good sounds, but you're never going to pull the same sounds. Um, so we we left them set up for a, a while fair while and mm. I had other projects come in but I didn't have any big drum projects so would I'd work around you know I'd use other I'd do other record other artists but I'd have these drums set up in the process so <laughs> and then you know Jared would come in and and you know after work or whatever and he'd, he'd he'd lay down a few more things and when when I was confident we had what we needed we eventually packed the drums down and 
that was that and getting Tommy in for bass it was over it was over like four days same deal just once it was set up that's kind of how I like to do things once I set something up I want to get that whole instrument recorded until it's done and then we pack it down you know so same with Tommy we, we set up a bass rig and 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 tracked all his stuff and then packed it down and then with the guitars guitars take a while you know but guitars I break down a little bit so like I'd, I'd set me and Mark up our main amps up and I'd make sure we get our main left and right chunky rhythms throughout the whole record done and then that can be packed down and we can set up another rig for you know clean tone stuff or you know there might have been a, a couple of days of acoustic guitar tracking where I set everything up and now I'm just going to focus on the whole record on acoustic guitars so I kind of do it like that I layer it and I don't I don't just go from song to song I go from instrument to instrument if that makes sense there was a lot of acoustic mm. on this particular album was that a conscious thing or was it just an organic writing process and I, you thought this was just the way it, it was all shaping up i don't think there's any more or any less than the last record i just think it's it's a bit more prominently mixed you know i use acoustic guitars more for texture and and, and depth and lacing in the in the sound i think in this record um but probably yeah what i meant to say yeah, was, yeah was i've was definitely more just pushed them on the album yeah i've just pushed them a bit more obvious in in spots you know mm-hmm. and there's a couple of songs were really led for it you know obviously okay. what was your personal setup for recording because you said that you'd used the separate rig yeah. for clean stuff and for the dirtier stuff you used the separate rig for that so what was the main equipment that you were using at the time uh for which instrument well for you we can start with you yeah. and then you can uh, elaborate uh, on everyone else for my, for, well, for my vocal uh oh i can't remember <laughs> it's been ages <laughs> um i think i had a i used a a, a, FET, a neumann fet 47 microphone which is a great mic uh into a some preamp I can't remember through some compressor I can't remember but whatever it was it sounded good <laughs> at the time um, I usually for Mark's vocals I'll always use a, a different mic just for difference even though it's we simply sound similar um, just so it's not we're not lacing up the same texture of the same microphone so I'll, I'll give him something different guitars we we shared we shared actually we shared the same cabinet I think so we had the same microphone set up and we just used his head or then we'll plug in my head and we'd do it like that. Uh, you know, I'd try and get a lot done and when, I, when I'd had enough, I'd set up his rig and he'd come over and he'd do some stuff and then we'd just kind of keep working on it bit by bit. Um, acoustic guitars, I used a 12-string uh, Guild that I've got, which is it's a beautiful guitar, and, and a 6-string Guild as well. How long have you had that for? Uh, I've had them for a few years. I used them. Okay. I didn't use them on the first record, so in between records, I guess I got them both. But they're great. They sound beautiful. I love them. Well, they do. I mean, yeah. I mean, they're very much on that record. So, uh, and I just had like a a, a really old uh, road classic. It's called big valve microphone. One microphone, pretty much, for all the acoustic guitars. Yeah, drums were God. I can't remember now, but did Jared bring his own kit in? Or he did. did. Have, yeah, we used his kit. We used. What I, it was funny, I really tried to use a lot of padding and things to, to try and separate the microphones and contain spill. So it's hilarious. I've never done it before. I don't know if it, I don't know if it was beneficial, but it, it did sound good. I had his whole drum kit covered in, covered in foam and all, all sorts of things to try and stop spill or minimize spill getting into mics that I didn't want them to. So it looked ridiculous. Mm. And I had covers over over microphones on the toms and big sheets of foam um, covering the ride symbol. 
is that just based on the size of the room or is that because what would affect, actually affect spill uh, like just the proximity of the mics to each other or proximity of the mics and the style of music he's right. hitting hard you know yeah. and trying to stop you know hi-hat bleed into into the snare mics and and cymbal bleed into the tom mics things like that so i had i had a, I had a big cubby over the kick drum and had that all boxed in and it just looked ridiculous. It looked like it looked like he was a you know someone who was camping on his drum kit, you know. But and you know and it was good. It did it did sound really good. I don't I just don't know if it was that beneficial in the end. But you know you try these things out. You know yeah. I'll probably try something similar next time. Uh, I do like the idea of trying to that the more the more you contain you can contain spill, the less you have to re- rely on artificial things like you know sample drum drum hits and things like that. So. I'm, I really like natural drum takes. Okay, what about Tommy's rig? Yeah, we used a, a, a the U forty seven Fet mic, and and we had a it was a Fender Bassman val, big valve old Fender Bassman head, and Fender quad box that my mate leaves here. It's been here forever. We used it on the first record too, and uh, and it was it was pretty stock standard stuff. You know, we we tried a few basses that we had here. We tried Tommy's basses. I had this cool um, Fender Precision bass that just seemed to really growl a bit more than the rest. So we used that yeah. for like ninety percent of it, you know. I know there was one song I forget now that we we did use something else, but um, I can't remember. Oh yeah, we used I think we used maybe Tommy's Fender Jazz bass on one song. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> uh, now you released two, not one, two documentaries on the making of the album. Uh, if I, well, did we? It, well, I know that you did. I mean, there was one. You had under the microscope. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you had inside the chamber. Well, the under the microscope was. Uh, or was that concentrating on Box of Anger specifically? Well, I wanted to do a series, and I and I still want to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was it was me and Mark just looking at a like the studio session breakdown of of the song, mm-hmm. and uh, and going into it and just you know playing the the the, the multi tracks soloing stuff and. Just talking about it. You know? Well, I'll be leaving a link in the description for the show for both of these, so you should definitely check yeah, them out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was cool. I mean, I want to do more. We just haven't gone around to it, you know. Um, actually, we did. We did film a couple more. I just haven't had a chance to right. <laughs> to look at them since. Yeah. And the documentary um, on the album did that premiere on the Hard Rock show yes. first, and then you eventually got it onto YouTube. Yeah, that's how right. long between. Oh, not long. Not long. Yeah, okay. they they aired it and then. Maybe a week or so later, we put it up there. Yeah, I don't know why I was thinking that they aired it and then the whole thing happened with the pandemic and then it ended up on YouTube just as a stopgap. Well, you know what? Had had we known what was about to happen with the pandemic, we probably would have waited it mm. and used it timely, you know, to put it out at a point when we had nothing else to put out and you'd put it out to stay relevant. Because that's the thing, you know, we, we released those singles in 2020 and when a lot of bands couldn't do anything, we were doing stuff, you know. It kept us quite relevant. And I think that's really that was really important for us. Because yeah. um, you filmed a lot of stuff. You had a lot of material to release, yeah. as you just said. Yeah. You know, just to keep things moving and ticking along well, during the videos, that 2020 period. I mean, they're tricky. I mean, the Box of Anger video was before all that. So that, that was that's, that's on its own. But, you know, the Dying in Sunshine video, I filmed that here, you know. And I couldn't go out. We weren't allowed to go anywhere, so I I just got the guys to come over. Um, when I think we had a few gaps where you were allowed to you know go here and there when restrictions eased a bit, 
and then we'd be back in lockdown. So um, I managed to get to get them over one by one, and film a night here, a night there, and then and that was I got another another video done, and then we shot the we shot a video for um, X Rays of Our Minds, which was a, an un, unofficial single, you know. Because I was going to ask about that because you did shoot videos for every single, whereas X Ray of Our Minds was the only one that wasn't. So it's not a single. Why did you choose that particular song? Because you know, I, I I like you know, as a creator, I don't want to not do something because it's not a single. I had a good idea for the song. It's as simple as that. Yeah. It was really good. I think that's my favorite video out of all of them. And um, and we shot it in the backyard, and I think it looks amazing. And we shot it on a phone, and it was because the idea suited the song, you know. And that was it. So we did it. Um, yeah, it wasn't a song that was officially, you know, released for. I mean, it's not a radio song, you know. So it wasn't it wasn't slated as a single, but that didn't stop us. And we'll do we'll we'll do more if we can. If we can think of a good idea, we'll do it. Well, there was definitely a concept for the album cover. This is kind of a what came first, the chicken or the egg type of a question. Now, what came first, the concept, and then you went out and got the chamber? Or did you find this thing and go... No, it was definitely... Well, the song was written, and um, and it it became like the album title, which also led to the... just the vibe of the record and, and, uh, and... Leaning on the darker side of things, mm-hmm. and then um, and then from that was the concept of well, you know, the cold chamber. Maybe we can find a chamber of some sorts, a cryogenic chamber or something. Um, so which of course we up? couldn't find anything because because yeah. where do you find that shit? I just happened to have a vocal booth um, that I got for free years ago from a mate, and it'd been sitting around forever. I never used it. It was this big perspex piece of oh shaped perspex piece of perspex. And, uh, and Mark Mark said to me one day, he goes, I want to put it in the pool. So he had a pool at his old place. And I was like, oh, well, I was like, well, you're going to destroy it. Because they had all the timber surrounds and that. He's like, well, yeah, it's probably not going to be good for it. I said, all right, we'll just do it. Because what else have we got? And so I dropped it over there and, and he did some preliminary photos underwater with his daughter. And... You know, like the album cover looks great, but the original, the actual original photo, it's actually in the documentary. We we do a shot of it. It looks haunting, like it's scary as hell. So, mm. and when I, when I saw that original picture, I was like, oh my god, would this yeah, I think this could work. This mm. is actually pretty convincing. He goes, yeah, and I'll trick it up. I'll make it look really good. I'll make it. I'll add all this stuff. To, and of course, he did. You know, he, he had all this shit lying around in his yard, and he made it look kind of industrial and and uh, a bit a bit sci-fi. And uh, and he built this this kind of fr- this frame around it, and uh, and it, I think it looks pretty convincing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. It does. <laughs>
I want to give a huge thank you to Matt Robbins for agreeing to be a part of episode one of Beautiful Car Crash and for taking us deep inside the chamber. Cold Chamber is one of my personal favourites from this year and it's always fascinating to get the chance to take a dive into the making of an album that I personally love. But for all of you who haven't heard Cold Chamber before, then settle in as I bring you my review for the album. Grunge burned brightly at the start of the 90s, not only being a movement that at the time was being hailed as the saviour of rock, but it was also single-handedly responsible for hammering the final nail into the coffin of 80s glam metal. And let's face it, by the late 80s, glam metal had already hammered in the majority of coffin nails themselves. But just as quickly as it appeared, it disappeared just as quickly with a legacy of being the last of the truly great rock movements. In a post-grunge world, there are very few bands that have been able to not only recapture the sound of the genre, but also to make it their own and carry it forward into the 21st century. Cicada Stone is one of those bands. The Melbourne group's 2016 debut album, Chance Collide, is a solid effort full of great songs, but now in 2021, Cicada Stone has unveiled what I believe to be a masterpiece of the genre with their latest album, Cold Chamber. Brothers Matthew Robbins on guitar and vocals and Mark Robbins on guitar have constructed a tracklist that is not only colossal in design, but also a microscope on the human condition, examining the intricacies and phobiles of humanity as a collective, and also diving deep into the psyche of what each and every one of us goes through on this planet we call Earth. A new religion, a new decision waiting for without condition for those we know. Another mission, a secret i 
Chamber has way too many great songs to list in this review, but here are just some of the highlights. Red Eye Raven is the album's ominous opening track, which sounds like a countdown to extinction with a riff that's the equivalent of the harbinger of doom. Slave in a Cage is an upbeat rocker on the surface, but just underneath that surface is a deep dive to a sinister and salacious undercurrent of foreboding and dread, like waiting for an unexploded bomb to detonate. Out of Sight is a hauntingly beautiful soundscape of rich harmonies, soul-wrenching delivery, and themes as deep as the Marianas Trench. Dying in Sunshine is a more radio-friendly offering, with lush harmonies and acoustic guitar, interspersed with stabbing guitar and interesting time signatures on the drumming. Burden That You Wear is another acoustic-heavy track with a sparse and melancholy feel before firing up into the stratosphere. Box of Anger is a rage and angst-filled power struggle of the human will versus despair, fueled by an unrelenting guitar-driven overload for the senses. I could easily describe every song on the album, such as the calibre of Cold Chamber. The addition to the band's lineup of Jared Medwin on drums and Tommy Sunset on bass has given Cold Chamber the extra turbo boost that the previous album lacked, delivering both swagger and guts to proceedings. The album's production is mind-blowing in both its subtlety and nuance, knowing exactly when to drop the hammer and when to pull back. 
It's sonically exquisite, which comes as no surprise as Matthew Robbins is also the producer of Cold Chamber, with the entirety of the album's recording taking place at Colour Sound Studios, which he owns and operates. There's no way to sum this album up simply, but if I could describe it in any way, it would be that it's the oral equivalent of a pendulum swinging back and forth between hope and misery, loss and redemption, victory and defeat. Cold Chamber is a breathtakingly stunning release, with not a single weak link or dud note. That doesn't mean that it's the perfect album, but by God, it certainly comes close. Absolutely brilliant.
Oh, you've done it, Crashers. You've made it through episode one of the brand new podcast, unscathed and with your sanity relatively intact. Thank you so much for sticking with me until the end. I hope that you'll continue to be a supporter of the Australian independent music scene. Head on over to Cicada Stone's social media pages and music streaming services. I'll be leaving all the links in the description and comment sections. And if you want to see Cicada Stone live for the first time in ages and the last time for 2021, then head down to the Bendigo Hotel in Collingwood. That's in Melbourne for all you international folks. On Friday, December 10th, where they'll be playing alongside Audio Rain, who'll be coming on over from Adelaide, Midnight Alibi and Melbourne's very own Stone Trip. Trust me when I say that this is one hell of a rock solid lineup. So get on down there and I'll see you at the bar. Uh, I'd like to thank Matthew Robbins once again for joining me on the first episode of what I hope will be the first of many episodes of Beautiful Car Crash. And of course, I can't end the show without imploring you, the loyal crashers, to get on them goddamn internets and show your love for BCC. Follow me on Facebook at Beautiful Car Crash. Follow me on Twitter at Beauty Car Crash. Follow me on Instagram at Beautiful underscore car underscore crash. Check out the website at beautifulcarcrash.com. Like, subscribe, comment, and get involved on my YouTube channel. I'd love to hear from you. And send me an email to let me know if you want to be a part of BCC at beautifulcarcrash15 at gmail.com. I'm Byron Moore, so remember to drive carefully, but always crash beautifully. And I'll see you next time.